Good morning, everyone. Wayne wanted me to um, announce that if you are participating in the Secret Sisters uh, program, that there are some cards and things in the table in the foyer, so you want to uh, stop by on your way out to check those. The title of this morning's lesson is Call Me Anonymous. According to Webster's Dictionary, the word anonymous means not named or identified or of unknown authorship or origin. Why would I want to be anonymous? Why would any Christian want to remain anonymous? This morning we will answer these questions. This world is full of charities. There are people who have been blessed financially and give millions of dollars to help specific causes, such as cancer, hunger, and education. These are examples of philanthropy of the wealthy. But have you ever noticed how often the person has their name mentioned along with the gift? Many times a wing in a hospital or a building on a university campus is named after the individual or their family. Please don't get me wrong, these gifts are wonderful as they are almost always sorely needed. However, when anyone gives a gift to seek the public's praise, they diminish the act. Is it really necessary to have one's name emblazoned across the side of a building. Whenever a person desires attention, recognition, and praise for being charitable, the act is tarnished. As Christians, our charitable deeds are to be done without attention and fanfare. These deeds should not need applause or congratulations. The text for this morning is Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 through 4 as you just heard. In these verses, Jesus is once again dealing with the subject of righteousness. Righteousness and its relationship to motives. The motives behind our charitable deeds. The lesson will ask the question, what are the motives behind your charitable deeds? Jesus had addressed the subject of righteousness in the previous chapter of Matthew's. Uh, of Matthew. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. In that verse, Jesus declared that the righteousness of the citizens of his kingdom must exceed the righteousness that is claimed by the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes were the leaders and teachers of the Pharisaic sect. They were an order who were the writers and teachers of the law. They devoted themselves to the study of the law and became the recognized authorities in all matters connected with the law. The religion of the Pharisees consisted of externals, ceremonials, rituals, liturgies, and formalities of many kinds with little 
or no attention being paid to the condition of the heart. The scribes and Pharisees professed to be exceedingly righteous, but were hypocrites. Jesus is not saying that they were as righteous as they professed to be. He knew them to be hypocrites. The righteousness of the disciples of Jesus must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Their righteousness was outward, but the disciples of our Lord must have spiritual righteousness, a righteousness that grows from within and is based on a love for God and all mankind, one that is not a mere boasted self-righteousness. It must be an internal and a moral righteousness and not just a ceremonial one. Before returning to our text for this morning, we cannot help but take into account the following verses of Matthew chapter 6. So if you're looking at those uh, verses, they are verse 2, 5, and 16. In these verses, Jesus presents the three areas in which the self-righteousness and hypocrisies of the scribes and Pharisees were most evident. These areas were charitable deeds, prayer, and fasting. These were the three main expressions of practical piety among the Jews. These were used by the Pharisees to exhibit their own so-called superior piety. The Pharisees thought that they had attained the highest level in these areas of their religious life. So in verses 1 through 18 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns his disciples that they are not to perform any acts of righteousness to be seen by mankind. Righteousness that he speaks of is a broader subject than just charity. It includes charitable deeds, prayer, and fasting. Jesus does not condemn doing works of righteousness. He had just told the multitudes and disciples in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are to live before others so that they may see the true righteousness of the Christian life. What Jesus condemns here is the motive of doing acts of righteousness to be seen by others. There is always that danger in our worship and in our religious lives of having the wrong motive. Mankind is so easily seduced into doing those things in order to be seen by others and receive their praise. Our daily world, you can see it on television, you could see it on your phones, you could see it where you work, you could see it in the classroom. People have just gone crazy for themselves and the attention they can draw to themselves. How many times have you heard somebody in the last year or two in a grocery store going on on their phone where everyone can hear about something that is so serious in their life, you're thinking, why aren't you telling the person in private? Why do I need to know this? It's just gone 
in the wrong direction. I remember a time when my grandparents would have never spoken about anything serious concerning their marriage except in private. The citizens of the kingdom of heaven must always have the right motive in serving God. Returning to our main focus of charity, beginning in verse 2 of our text, the Lord now explains how his disciples should do their charitable deeds. Verse 2 says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you in the streets and synagogues that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. The area of instruction covered here is both personal and individual. The broad assumption being that every true follower of Christ is charitable. That is, they help other people through the giving of money or time or service. Christ did not say, if you do a charitable deed, but when. Our obligation to be mindful of human need and suffering is not excused by the support, no matter how generous, of a church budget or program. <coughs> the reference to sounding a trumpet in verse 2 refers to the flashy or showy practice of the Pharisees. It represents a warning to us against all forms of boastful or egotistical behavior with regard to our charity. We must take note of the contrast between verses 1 and 2 and verse 4 concerning the rewards. On the one hand, there is the temporary, uncertain, and unsatisfying reward of popular applause or approval. And on the other hand, is the genuine and eternal reward of heaven. The Christian should always desire the eternal reward, no matter how tempting the recognition from mankind can become. And this is very tempting for us. Sure, we all want to be uh, acknowledged where we work and where we live. We want to be told we're doing a good job. There's nothing wrong with being told you're doing um, something that's helping your company or helping your family. There's nothing wrong with that. But we must be so careful that it doesn't become something in our lives, that that's what we seek. We should be doing a good job or helping our family because of our love for God and his son, and we want to show the world what a Christian's life is all about, not because we can receive someone's praise. Remember the words of Matthew, chapter 16 and verse 26, when the Lord said, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You may ask, how should I perform my charitable deeds? The guidelines are simple. Beginning in verse 3 of our text, the Lord tells us, how to maintain the desired privacy as applied specifically to our charitable deeds. In verse 3, it says, But when you do a charitable deed, 
do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It is worthy to note that secrecy is mandatory in this area of righteousness. Secrecy in giving personal aid and assistance to helpless or unfortunate persons is commanded by Christ and produces at least five positive results. Number one, it assures purity of motive in the heart of the giver by removing the temptation for hypocrisy. It protects and honors the privacy of the recipient, a privacy that is indispensable in cases where recovery or rehabilitation are involved. It protects the benefactor from being overwhelmed with calls for those from those who their only interest is the benefactor's money. It provides an opportunity for the development of love and friendship between the helper and the person who has helped. And finally, it honors the specific commandment of Christ concerning secrecy to the Christian. This is the most important part of all. Why call me anonymous? No matter what the situation, we must do our best to be as private about our benevolence as we can possibly be. That is what our Lord said, and that is what he expects. We close the lesson with his words from John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And now we offer an invitation. If you are here this morning and you're sitting in our pews and you have never put Christ on in baptism, you have never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we're going to offer that opportunity this morning. We're going to have an invitation hymn sung by Jason. And when we stand and rise to sing that, we welcome you to come forward. We are here to assist you in being baptized. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God who died for your sins, you're willing to repent of those sins, confess them as your Lord and Savior, and be immersed, be baptized. We are here to help you with that. Or perhaps you're here this morning. Many of us, children of God, we come here today with heavy hearts. There are some things on our hearts that we just can't handle on our own. And we need the prayers and support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we're all about. That's why the Church of Christ isn't called the church as much as it's called the family. It is a family. And when one brother or sister is hurting, we're all hurting. So let us know what we can do this morning to help you get through this time, this burden in your life. Whatever your need is, please let us know as we stand and sing our invitational hymn.